2: All right, thank you for attending this Secret Service Agency briefing. I know things are a bit uh, hectic recently, but we are the most important security detail in the government, and we need to get back to business first up today, uh, State Department is on my butt about recent uh, indiscretions that occurred in Cartagena, and uh, my hand 's been forced here, so starting today, the following code names have been changed. <clears throat> Michelson, your code name is no longer Hawkeye. Ah. Now you're Tiffany Tulips. <clears throat> Come on, Director. I'm sorry, Michelson, but the higher ups think your cool code names have affected your egos, made you think the rules didn't apply to you. Whatever. Stow it, Tiffany. <clears throat> All right. Yukon, <clears throat> you're now Funshine. Hightower, you're now Muffin Top. Viper. You like caffeine-free diet Pepsi? Yuck, no. Too bad, it's your new code name. (laughs) Raptor Man, gotta change you to Mom Jeans. What? Aw. Mom Jeans, gotta change you to Raptor Man. Aw. Ace, you're to be known as Jar Jar from here on out. Gunner, you are Sweater Vest. (laughs) Sweater Uh, Vest. (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing, Midnight. You're now known as So Embraceable. (laughs) Shadowbird, you're now that guy from Wham! Sweet! No, no, no. I mean the other guy from Wham! (laughs) Ah. Sidewinder, I hope you like oopsie doodles because you're stuck with it until retirement. Maverick, you're now Frere Jaca, Frere Jaca, Dormez-vous? And Grizzly, your new code name is Vanessa Huxtable. <laughs> okay, that should do it. Oh, oh, oh! And one, one more, Sabertooth. From now on, you're to be known as something that's harmless, respectful to women, palatable to many, and very familiar to people who drive Volvo SUVs. It's it's. <laughs>
1: From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theatre in Portland, Oregon, it's Live Wire, codename Buttercup. Tonight, the third rare repertory theatre, best-selling legal thriller writer Philip Margolin, and music from nerd folk duo The Double Clicks and cellist Gideon Freudman. That's tonight on Live Wire Radio. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Courtney Haumeister, and you also have comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight, wherein Scott sits in our audience, and in just a single hour, the amount of time it took E.L. James to count the number of shades of gray and one one one-billionth of her royalties, he writes a poem that encompasses all the lessons he's learned during the show, and of course music from our house band, The Mutton Chops. Thank you, Jim. Our band is being led tonight by producer and house band member Jim Brunberg. Thanks, Jim. So, as I said earlier, we're going to have a Third Rail Repertory Theater on later, uh, and they have, they have a pretty unique perspective on Homer's Odyssey from Irish playwright Enda Walsh, as well as uh, Philip Margolin. He is the author of 15 best-selling legal thrillers, including his latest Capital Murder in addition to being a prolific, best-selling thriller writer, Margolin actually co-founded an organization called Chess for Success in 1992. And that, it's a great organization. It now serves over 70 schools in 16 districts. It is a nonprofit that uses chess to teach elementary and middle school kids necessary life skills. And when I first heard this concept, I thought... What what skills do you learn from playing chess aside from how to play chess? Um, But then when I really thought about it, I realized that there are many other skills that you learn in the process. You learn critical thinking, you learn patience, problem solving, the highly important skill of not flipping over the board and screaming, you suck when you lose. Really important stuff. Um, And all of these are reasons why chess is a really valuable skill to teach kids and also why I was absolutely terrible at it. Uh, My father tried to teach he, he tried to turn me into a good chess player starting when I was about 10 years old and I loved the grace of it and I loved how grown up it was and that even though I noticed that my parents were a lot more worried when I went out of the house after dark than when my brother did I loved that the queen was able to move pretty much anywhere she wanted on the board while the king was restricted to just one measly square per move So different from the world as I was currently living it but at the same time i couldn't escape this sense while i was playing that i was being attacked from all sides largely because while i was playing i was being attacked from all sides <laughs> because that's what chess is it's this adorable little war with you know horses and movable castles and an opponent whose job it is to wear you down mentally and pounce on your every mistake Sounds like fun, right? It actually—it sounds like we've actually switched to talking about your parents' marriage, but we're actually still talking about chess. <laughs> um, Polish Grandmaster uh, Saviely Tartakower once said, "The winner of a chess game is the player who makes the next-to-last mistake." <laughs> and that's all I could see when I looked at the chessboard. All I could see were all the possible mistakes I could make, which it turns out, after the first four moves, those possible mistakes actually number over 288 billion. And that is also the number of ways my opponent can come at me in a chess game, right? But I kept playing because moments with my father were few and far between, but I just never stopped looking at the game as just a collection of potential errors, which is coincidentally the name of the softball team I'm currently sponsoring. So I never really mastered it, and now I actually wish that I had, because when you think about it, what better way to prepare anyone for life than to repeatedly put her in a situation where there are over 288 billion ways she can be defeated, and she has to learn to ignore that fact, look as far ahead as possible, and teach herself to only concentrate on all the possible ways she can survive the battle. Chess for success indeed. I actually, I wonder what their age cutoff is. (laughs) Because you're never too old for life skills training. (laughs) So our musical guests tonight are two sisters who call their genre nerd folk. Their songs include references to Star Trek, The X-Files, Velociraptors, and even punctuation, odes to punctuation. Armed with a cello, a guitar, and a lightning fast internet connection, their music takes aim at pop culture, gaming, and love. With songs from their most recent album, Chainmail and Cello, please welcome Aubrey and Angela Weber, AKA the Double Clicks, to Livewire.
3: You and I are kinda like Romeo and Juliet In that I'm romantic and sweet and you're an immature loser With friends who are unreasonably violent You and I are kinda like Castle and Kate Beckett In that I'm a total badass with extremely good looks And you tend to say the wrong thing In these stories we want to know Will they or won't they? But with us, I know the answer, we won't stories we want to know will they or won't they but with us i know the answer we won't you and i are kind of like jim and pam season one in that i have a job and a boyfriend and you have a kind of weird thing with jello you and i are kind of like booth and dr brennan In that I like dinosaurs and have a really great mind And all you care about is murder You and I are kinda like Starbuck and Apollo In that after all this, this is going to end in an anticlimactic way You and I are kinda like Starbuck and Apollo in that after all this unresolved sexual tension and emotional investment and time and money, this is going to end in an anti-climatic way. You and I are kinda like molder and scully. In that you're paranoid and even when you're right I look like the smart one You and I are kinda like Counselor, Troy, and Riker In that I'm good at what I do and you are usually useless See I switched it up that time In these stories we want to know Will they or won't they But with us I know the answer We won't
1: Bri and Angela Weber, um, thanks you guys. That uh, that's actually that's my favorite song from, from your most recent record. Thank you from your most recent album that dropped recently. Right so, on the ground. <laughs> exactly, just dropped on the ground. You guys call your, yourselves nerd folk. Yes. So yep. How would you define this genre?
3: Um, we play nerdy songs about geeky things, and we have a cello. <laughs>
1: that is that is more than enough for me. <laughs> so when did you guys uh, realize that you were nerds?
3: Wow. I remember one Christmas we got uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine marbles. (laughs) Um, True story. (laughs) I don't know if we knew the word nerd yet, but that's a defining moment in my life, I think.
1: (laughs) You felt that that somehow differentiated you a little bit from your peers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, um, you guys actually, um, you thank Paul and Storm on your record. Can you talk about uh, who Paul and Storm are and, and how they've influenced you?
3: Sure. Um, Paul and Storm are an amazing uh, sort of comedy, nerd, uh, rock-ish duo. They used to be in an acapella group called Da Vinci's Notebook that we both knew of when we were growing up. Amazing. Um, they're, they're very awesome. They play at places like PAX. They play with Jonathan Colton and... We sent them an email last year saying, We see you're coming to Portland. Do you want some girls to sing about Dungeons and Dragons? And they said, Yes.
1: (laughs) Shockingly. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they have a whole section on their website of just Star Wars songs. Yes. So you guys, something might happen there, I feel like. Well, that was a wonderful song, and we're going to hear another one from you before the show's over, towards the end of the show. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. It's the Double Clicks, everybody. More information about The Double Clicks can be found at thedoubleclicks.com. The Summer Camp Bazaar will be open for 30 more minutes. Parents, be sure you visit all our booths. Summer is weeks away, and camp slots are going quickly. Hi, we're looking
4: for camps for our 8-year-old son. He still has a week open between Archaeology Camp and Klingon Immersion Camp.
5: Camp Big Oak, what kind of camp
2: is that? Uh, We're a camp. Uh, In the woods.
4: That sounds terrific. Quinn loves the woods. Is it outdoors?
2: Yes. The woods are outdoors.
4: So, what do you do in the woods?
2: We camp in it.
4: What does that entail exactly?
2: Well, the kids bring sleeping bags and tents, and we eat together and spend the day hiking and playing games, and then we gather around the campfire and sing songs. So, it's a survivalist camp? Well, he learned to kill and skin a rabbit.
4: No, honey, it's transcendentalist, man and nature. Do you teach the Rose Walden?
2: No, but there is a lake.
4: Oh, a lake! Fabulous! Are there dolphin encounters, like at marine mammal and exotic bird camp?
2: No, it's a lake. But we do do a little canoeing. Oh. Do the kids
5: dig the canoes out of fallen trees? Oh. Like at Kaneawea Sustainable Camp and Casino? No. <laughs> You know, Quinn did a winter U-boat camp near Pollyarney Inlet last year, so he's had some basic sonar training.
4: It was just a week, but he managed to sink a cargo ship.
5: He sure did. (laughs) Hey, do you know uh, what I wish more camps offered? Basic veterinary medicine, like how to spay a dog Mm
4: -hmm.
5: or get his arm shoulder-deep in a horse and deliver a foal. Mm. Okay. Yeah, we don't Will any of your
4: counselors be celebrities? Last summer, Quinn took guitar from Gene Simmons at late 70s hair band camp.
5: You know, they're still in touch. Mm -hmm. He sent Quinn leather pants for Christmas.
2: Our counselors are mostly college kids. Uh, They lead day hikes, and they try to keep kids away from poison ivy.
4: Day hikes. Oh, it's a fat camp. Well, he is a little husky.
2: We sent him to Camp Chubby Buddy last summer. He learned to Zumba. Okay, we're not... We're not a fat camp, and we don't Zumba, okay? There might be some Frisbees.
5: Uh, Quinn took some falconry in first grade, showed some potential. Do you offer any work with large predatory birds?
4: Oh, can you teach him beekeeping or dentistry? Oh, Kardashian husbandry.
2: There's no theme, okay? There's no falconry. There's no bees. We're not going to teach him how to play guitar or fill a cavity or pilot a helicopter, okay? It's camp. It's about bad food and poison oak and first kisses and and staying inside all week because it's raining. It's about whittling. It's camp. But what do you teach? Independence, self-reliance, that he is but a small insignificant speck in the face of nature, you know, how to pitch a tent.
4: So it's camping camp.
5: Camping camp. Oh. Why didn't you just say so? Yeah. I, I said that repeatedly too.
4: Well, we'll think about it, but we really want our boy to learn useful skills. Yeah,
5: <laughs> camping camp. Good luck with that concept.
4: Oh, <laughs> uh, let's hit the taxidermy camp booth on the way out. There's no line.
1: Mm. That was Trisha Ferguson, Andrew Harris, and Sean McGrath. You're listening to Livewire right now, and we thank you. We know you have many choices when it comes to your radio variety show needs, and we're grateful you've chosen us to fulfill them. While you're waiting to hear a Third Rail Repertory Theater, Philip Margolin, more from the Double Clicks, and poet Scott Poole, please enjoy this musical interlude and station identification. We'll be right back. And now for a little radio theatre. Penelope is Irish playwright Enda Walsh's wildly ingenious spin on Homer's The Odyssey. It's a version that's drunk on language, big on laughs, and infused with the spirit of Samuel Beckett. The play has only been put up by a few American theaters to date, Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago, the Studio Theater in D.C., and now Third Rail. They're a repertory theater based in Portland, now in their seventh season, and they've always been known for taking chances with daring newer works. Tonight, the cast of Penelope has agreed to give us a little taste of the show, and here's the rundown so far in the show. For 20 years, Penelope stoically waits for her husband, Odysseus, to return from the war, while hundreds of men try to woo, seduce, and win her hand in marriage. At the beginning of the show, only four men are left, Fitz, Dunn, Quinn, and Burns, and they're all living in a swimming pool, complete with barbecue and a bar, and... They're desperately competing for Penelope's affection. And if one of them doesn't win her by the time Odysseus returns later tonight, they all perish. So they're all taking turns giving it their best shot and helping each other out. So at this point, Dunn, a man who carries himself like an old theatrical troubadour in flip-flops, is up. Fitz and Quinn offer their help in this brazen tale of truth, love, and the quest for victory. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Third Rail Repertory.
6: And down the hill across the cove Through my little blue door Into my cracker bread house I too awake Pennell OP Somehow your first morning's breath Rides the treacherous wind And finds its way to my own nose And awakens me And what a fine breath it is not the claggy acid breath of a stomach made stagnant by a night's sleep the type of breath that could peel a hard boiled egg oh, F no (laughs) but A breath that perfumers would battle to bottle. A breath bursting with pheromones. Is it any wonder that it builds a mighty tower in my underpants? (laughs) A tower that I take to the shower and I lather with peasant olive soap. The shower falls upon me like, like. Butterfly kisses. And I think of you in your chamber beneath your shower, madam. And what lucky drops they are. Oh, yes, when one thinks of the useless life of some water, the dark days of toilet water, for example. Water used for nothing more than filling a cistern and pulverizing a petrous turd. Focus on her. It's all for her. I'm channeling this poetry through her. I will not be edited by a lesser scribe. You reason with them, Fitz. Reason with creation. I will not be reasoned with. You are not an actor. Unhand me, sir. How about some music?
2: (laughs) Can't do any harm. Uh Oh, he's opening his robe.
6: I'm standing, Penelope, on my rough and tiled floor, drying my naked body in God's morning sunshine. The Ionian breeze drying the tear like droplets from my bristling shoulders. That's nice, Doug. Very nice. A bird? A bird makes me turn to the open windows. A blackbird on my sill. And what a dainty little fellow with his singing. Warming what cockles are left in my arid heart.
7: The more he sings, the more he
6: speaks of you, Penelope. Is it a message, then, Quinn?
7: A message, yes.
6: Uh, a... It is a call. Uh, Yes, yes, a siren, I would say, fits for all at once I am under that bird's spell The singing, it creates a carousel in my mind It churns within me, rebuilding me Refashioning me, reupholstering an even greater done A more godly done A more well done Done
7: you step outside with that bird flying above you, leading you to her beauty, her grace, Penelope's arms. Oh, yes! The sharp rocks conspire to see you imprisoned in your lonesome cove, that tiny house. Bastards! But you, Doug, you are a new man, fashioned by the power of her love.
6: And how the cypress and the hyacinth greet him, Gwyn.
7: Today, like no other day, for they see the man he has become, fits. Oh, nice. They see the transformation love can have on even the most annoying of bastards.
6: And yet, dear fellow travelers, I have mortal doubts. How can I even be in Penelope's shadow? How can I taunt myself with the idea of a touch? Nay, not so much a touch, but even a kind look. She is beyond words, beyond description. Even a master scribe such as I cannot conjure up her beauty in tiny letters, in exhausted words. I walk over the parched grass, the lavender alive, with a million bees, all looking at my new self, but sensing my familiar nerves. Their buzzing adds within me layers of doubts, doubts upon doubts, and how these doubts round my shoulders, wrinkle my brow, and buckle my knees, till I'm on all fours like a wounded hound. Wishing away his life. Longing to be put asleep eternally. Placed in a bucket and pushed out to the calm of the Ionian sea. (laughs) I am nothing to her.
7: And yet she calls you.
6: Calls me. Does she quit? The bird
7: again sings. And this time by Penelope's open door. The melody of the bird's voice, of what it means, has you standing again done. Anxiety falls from your fingertips and evaporates. What power I feel! Well, get up then.
6: Blood surges through my powerful body. It puffs color into my cheeks. It thickens my hair and fattens my arms, boys. You want me.
7: All right, Don, time's up.
6: Am I finished? Yes, Don, th- that was thrilling. As you say, I have a musicality and subtlety all my own. It's the mark of a great artist
7: that you found truth in such wonderful delusion. Thank you, Quinn.
1: True is done. Bruce Burkhardt Smirer is Fitz and Mike O'Connell is Quinn in a scene directed by Philip Cuomo. If you're in the Portland area, Penelope will be running June 1st through 17th at the Winningstad Theater. Information on the show can be found at thirdrailrep.org. You're listening to LiveWire Radio, and if you've subscribed to our podcast, you could be listening to us on the beach in the Maldives. You'd have to buy a ticket and make sure your passport was updated and ask for time off from that guy who always wears too much Phoenix by Keith Urban cologne. (laughs) But the podcast part would be taken care of. For more information and to download our podcast, visit LiveWireRadio.org.
5: Okay, so the uh six-pack... 10 bucks on pump three. Uh, okay, out of 20. Changes 475. Do you need a bag?
1: Uh, no, thanks.
5: Okay, thanks. Have a good day. Okay. Next. Hi there.
2: Yeah, just this chewing gum. Okay. And a couple of these candy bars.
5: Get, yeah, got it.
2: Pack of slim 200s.
5: Uh, do you want filter?
2: Uh, yeah,
5: yeah. Okay. Uh, anything
2: else? Oh, yeah. I, uh... I want, to All the money in the cash register! Oh,
5: my God! Hurry it up! Okay, okay. Oh, is that gun loaded? Of course it's loaded, you idiots! Now move! Uh, okay, um... Uh, what are you doing? Hurry! Okay, well, I already rang in all your stuff. Uh, I can't open the register without a purchase.
2: Just void it!
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying, but I already hit the subtotal button, so, you know... It, it won't Come on man, I'm serious. Open the register. Look, there's no magical open the register button, okay? It doesn't work like that. Look, could could you just pay? What? Well, if if you pay, then I can complete the transaction and the register will it'll open. It... Just pretend
2: that I gave you five bucks. Oh,
5: okay, five in cash? Yeah, whatever. Because it actually comes to 702 with the cigarettes. All right, all right. Forget about the cigarettes. I already rang in the cigarettes, so... Fine, then pretend I gave you 10 in cash. Okay, 10 in cash. Got it. Uh, wait, here's two pennies. You can't use the give a penny dish if you're using fake money, though. Well, I, well. I don't want a bunch of change jangling around in my pockets uh, Okay, maybe uh, I can void just the cigarettes or Just give me the damn money Sir, I'm trying, I really am trying But this register, it just, you I'm know i running just... out of patience here, man Look, could, could we just do it on a card? Because it'd be so much easier if you had Fine So you take Discover? No,
2: Visa or MasterCard I don't even know why I still carry this damn thing around All right, here Uh, debit or credit? Ugh, debit Okay, you wrote check ID on the back. All right, all right, here. Here's my ID. Oh,
5: Minnesota, huh? So you just don't see a lot of those out here. Are you visiting or a student? Or it doesn't matter. I should probably just check the ID book, you know, see if this is a real Minnesota driver's license. It could be a fake, and then I get in trouble. And... All right, just forget it. Just forget it. Hey, hey, wait, wait. Hey, I, I got it open. I just had to hit clear and then void, of course. God, I never remember that. Mr. Tarkanian, I did it again.
1: That was Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris, with sound effects by David Ian. Tonight we have a special guest and cellist, Gideon Freudman. Gideon is a founding member and composer for the Portland Cello Project, and he is one of the most innovative cellists out there, combining electric cello, innovative compositions, improvisation, and looping to create a genre that he calls cello bop. His music, which infuses classical traditions with modern jazz and blues, can be heard on TV soundtracks like Weeds, which Freudman claims is a show about gardening. Uh, 17 CDs and NPRs all things considered His latest CD is Rain Monsters Please welcome Gideon Freudman to Livewire
8: It's really nice to be here um, this, is a, this is an electric cello For All you people on the radio You can see what it looks like it Looks like an anchor Or a crossbow or It looks, it looks menacing is what it looks like And um, I've got, running through a few pedals, one of them is a delay. It makes notes echo, like this. Ooh. And and a looper that lets me play phrases and have them play back. Loop, if you will. Like that, and then add layers. Like that, okay, now that the tutorial is over. We'll get on with the program. You can relax. I'll take it from here. Uh, This is a tune from my new CD. It's called Rain Monsters.
1: is actually going to be at the Secret Society on June 7th. Our next guest has worked as a junior high teacher in the South Bronx. He's worked as a law clerk and a criminal defense attorney who represented 30 people charged with homicide. That was until 1996 when he switched from practicing law to writing about it. Philip Margolin has now written over a dozen New York Times best-selling legal thrillers, including Gone But Not Forgotten, Supreme Justice, and The Last Innocent Man, which was made into an HBO film starring Ed Harris. His latest book, Capital Murder, the third in his Washington trilogy, sends PI Dana Cutler and attorney Brad Miller back to DC in a suspenseful story involving a serial killer, a high ranking senator, and the largest planned terrorist attack on American soil. Please welcome Philip Margolin to Livewire. Welcome to the show, Philip.
9: Thanks for having me
1: on. It's great to have you. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your history before we went into talking about this book. You actually, uh, before you were even a defense attorney uh, specializing in homicide, you were a junior high school teacher in the Bronx. Yep. So which one of those jobs was scarier?
9: (laughs) (laughs) I I actually was a bit of a delinquent as a kid, so um, when the kids did weird stuff, i thought it was funny and it didn't really bother me it yeah. all the, it's all the stuff I used to do when I was a junior high school student so
1: they had, they had more trouble getting stuff past you essentially
9: yeah because I really didn't care it didn't bother me
1: <laughs> so you, you stopped uh, actually practicing law in 1996 and you started writing uh, these novels what about being a lawyer made you a better writer do you think
9: uh, I think the, the the best thing about legal training is you're tra- taught to be really objective and unemotional about your work. So, it's great help with editing. Um, I can take a look at my stuff and not get too emotionally involved in it. And uh, you know, one of the things if you want to be a good writer, you have to be willing to throw out your best stuff if it's hurting the book. And legal training teaches you how to how to do that. How
1: to just stay distanced from your mm-hmm. work. Yep. Yeah. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about. This, this latest book, the book is Capital Murder, and it's the third in a trilogy. And um, it sends the characters back to Washington, D.C. Can you can you give a quick synopsis of what happens in this in this one? Uh, a yeah. lot happens.
9: Yeah. Well, the th- three books, each one takes place in a different branch of government. So uh, the first one uh, was is the president a, a serial killer? So that's executive branch. And the second one, Dana. totally
1: valid question. <laughs>
9: And then uh, Dana Cutler and Brad Miller are... Uh, Brad's a clerk at the Supreme Court in the second one, and uh, they thwart a plot by a CIA, a former head of the CIA, who's trying to keep a murder case from Oregon from getting up to the court. So in this one, um, Brad is now a legislative assistant to a really kinky, sick-and-twisted U.S. senator from Oregon. Don't judge.
1: <laughs> Don't judge. No judgments.
9: Uh, <laughs> And I have to say, I, I really uh, like our two senators, so uh, I, I promise that it was not based on either one of them. There there are two parallel plots going. Uh, Clarence Little is a serial killer who was in executive privilege, and he escapes from death row, and then a body is found in Washington, D.C., and he's in death row in Oregon. He, a body is found in D.C. murdered with his M.O., um, and then at the same time, there is a plot to blow up FedEx Field where the Washington Redskins play. And uh, Dana and Brad uh, are trying to figure out whether uh, Clarence really did kill the person in the senator's house. And at the same time, they're trying to thwart this uh a terrorist plot.
1: Yeah, there's, there's so many different things going on in this book, uh, different storylines that, and, and you do a wonderful job of weaving all the stories together. Um, and it was interesting when I was reading, because there, there were a lot of scenes, Clarence was on death row, and there were a lot of scenes with him and his lawyer. And I couldn't help thinking about the fact that you must have had so many of those meetings when you were, when you were doing that job. What is it like to sit with someone who is probably a killer.
9: Well, they like you because they're your lawyer. You're their lawyer. So uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, I got along very well with my clients. Uh, And as I said, I, when I was younger, I was in all sort of, all the gangster classes. So sort of like the guys that I grew up with. So uh, I was never really that intimidated. Now you always have your antenna up if you're sitting in a room with somebody who's killed somebody. But by and large, I got along Fairly well with uh, my clients.
1: Did that concern you at all?
9: Uh, My therapist uh, said no. Uh, It it didn't. I mean, because I mean, you're trying to help them out, and they appreciate that if you if you work really hard for them. So uh, I I very rarely felt. Uh, in any sort of danger or anything.
1: Yeah. Uh, If you just tuned in, you're listening to Livewire and we're talking to Philip Margolin about his book Capital Murder. Your acknowledgments for this book were so interesting because you were thanking all the people that you did research with, like the Portland Police Bomb Squad, medical examiners, the assistant U.S. attorney, Charles Gorder. Is the research sometimes more interesting than the writing part for these books?
9: Yeah, I mean, when I was a lawyer, too, I loved uh, getting into weird areas like blood spatter, neutron activation analysis. So when I start a book, uh, I, I do a very extensive outline, then I make a to-do list, right. all of the special areas that I have to find out about. And in, in this one, I had to learn how to blow up FedEx field, and, which didn't bother me because I'm a Giants fan, so... <laughs> uh, I also had to learn how the concessions work there. I had to learn all about the day-to-day life of a senator, what they do, what a legislative. because Brad's a legislative assistant. So sure. how do they dress? When do they get to work? Where do they eat? And So all that stuff's just fascinating for me. It's like going back to school.
1: Yeah, Well, but before you go, I, I definitely wanted to talk about Chess for Success. We talked a little bit about it at the opening of the show, but can you talk a, a, a little bit about about what they do as an organization? Yeah, it,
9: it's, it's not a chess program. It's an educational program, and, and the real uh, key to it is, and you sort of mentioned this, after four moves on either side of the board in the game of chess, the the number of potential moves, and I've heard all sorts of numbers, more than all the atoms in the universe, whatever number you put out. But it's, it's huge. And most board games or most games that children play, you either spin a dial or you throw dice. Well, in chess, there's normally, uh, after a certain small number of moves, four or five viable moves uh, that, a, that a kid can make. And none of them are exciting. So you have to go through each one. If I do this, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen... Uh, and then you have to compare and contrast. And um, that's what an elementary school kid has to do to read a book with comprehension, uh, solve math problems, take tests. Anything you do in life, should I buy this house? You know, yeah. Well, I like it, but how much money do I make? What are the taxes? So basically, what we, to do this, in order to figure out the best move, and the kids are motivated because they want to win the game, they have to sit for long periods of time with their feet on the floor, totally focused, they have to unemotionally, objectively evaluate each possible move and recheck their conclusions. And so what we're basically doing is teaching the kids to sit still and shut up. And uh, <laughs> and, in, and then, you know, with all the video games and the MTV videos and stuff, you know, life moves really fast. And uh, learning how to sit still, focus, and analyze is, uh, is, is going to help kids. And, and we had a two-year study that was financed by the Congress that showed that that It really works. Uh, and we're only in Title I schools, which are the poorest schools where the kids are not supposed to succeed. We have about 3,000 kids in our 70 schools, and the, the result of the study was that their uh, results on the state math and reading tests uh, far exceeded what the average uh, of the state was. So it really does work. And, and it's, only about a, it's only about 150 bucks per kid yeah. per year. So.
1: working on another book, but I just want to touch briefly on this. You've you've said that that HarperCollins has bought a historical novel from you that you've been writing since the '80s. Yeah. What is this novel about? Um,
9: it's 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 sort of my labor of love. It's it's based on a real case, um, uh, Holmes versus Ford from uh, 1840s, and uh, a slave owner brought a family of slaves to Oregon from from uh, Missouri. And he said, I, I won't sell you in Missouri if you'll come and help me establish a farm. Uh, well, they did, but he reneged. And in what, what happens, he freed the parents and one small child but kept the four younger children, claiming that he'd been paying, you know, giving them food and stuff, and they had to work it off. And it was sort of a heartbreaking case, and eventually George Williams, who was the uh, Ch- chief justice of the Oregon Supreme Court back then, did, did do it, and they got the kids back, but not before one of them died. So you've um, written
1: a, a novel about that. And it's, taken it's very loosely
9: based. It was inspired by that case and very, very loosely based. And it's a young young lawyer who tries to, in the book I made it a father and daughter, and tried to get his, uh, get the daughter back.
1: Oh, well, it sounds really interesting, and we'll look forward to to seeing that book. Um, Before you go, um, we actually wanted to play a little bit of a game with you. Um, Because you you worked with with people uh, on trial for homicide for for 20 years, it was 25 25 25, years, um, you probably got to know them pretty well.
9: Okay. (laughs) So um,
1: what we've done is uh, we've devised a quiz to see how well uh, you know, let's just say serial killers. So... (laughs) I'm going to give you a quote, and you're just going to tell me whether the person who said it is a serial killer or a Hollywood celebrity. Okay? All right. So, was the following quote from Jeffrey Dahmer or Lindsay Lohan? (laughs) I've got to start eating at home more.
9: (laughs) I'm going to say Lindsay Lohan.
1: That was actually Jeffrey Dahmer, but... (laughs) Lindsay Lowen did actually say, I've become more of a homebody. So very close. I can understand how you mix those up. All right. The following quote from Charles Manson or Charlie Sheen. <laughs> if you're a part of my family, I will love you violently.
9: I'm going to say Charlie Sheen. That is Charlie Sheen.
1: Well done. <laughs> Charles Manson said, total paranoia is is just total awareness, which doesn't that sound like Charlie Sheen? (laughs) And now, finally, your final question. One of these came from David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, and one came from Kris Jenner, the mother of the Kardashian girls. (laughs) Number one, from a young age, I taught them about waxing and mani-pedis, and we always made it a party. Number two, I have several children who I am turning into killers. (laughs)
9: I'm going to say the second one is uh, wait so Berkowitz was delusional um, <laughs> I'm going to say that's Cardassian's Car- the... mom the one turning them into killers
1: <laughs> that's, well she didn't say it but it's true <laughs> so I'm going to give you credit for that one David you did exceptionally well I think you got three out of four well done Philip Margolin thank you <laughs> Thank you so much for for joining us. The book is Capital Murder. The author is Philip Margolin. Thank you so much for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, the double clicks.
3: The 1995 BBC miniseries Oh, that Mr. Darcy So gruff and so distant With a sensitive spirit Just waiting to shine There's a reason for the cliché That women love jerks It just seems like such a good idea At the time I traveled to europe to study and learn and go clubbing and drink there was a cute boy in my history lessons who hailed from near london and mostly ignored me so of course i fell for him and his charming voice his detachment and rudeness got me in a snap He finally noticed me at the end of semester, took me on one date, and treated me like crap. Oh, 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 Mr. Darcy, oh, 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 Colin Firth, you wily old bastard, you wonderful specimen. You've messed up the hearts of young girls If you meet a gentleman hailing from England, don't be so impressed. Hold on to your heart. Just because someone has a British accent does not mean they're witty or decent or smart. If a boy treats you with tasteful indifference, if he is handsome but briskly and Because he's ignoring you Not every jerk Has a heart of gold Oh, oh Oh, Mr. Darcio. oh Oh, oh, him Firth You wily old bastard You wonderful specimen You've messed up the hearts Of young girls round the earth Oh, oh You're charming and wonderful. No other men are worth half what you're worth.
1: All right, and now, as promised, to sum it all up for us with a poem he finished writing 30 seconds ago, please welcome poet Scott Poole.
10: I learned tonight by Scott Poole. A S semicolon D L K F J S L D J F S L semicolon D J F J. I learned tonight that I always wanted to put that unpronounceable word that everyone types at least once in a poem. <laughs> it's thin times, people. It's been a long recession. Sometimes you can't afford the right words. Thin like a cracker from the side. A cracker so thin the salt on it is wider. It's 2% opacity times, people. If you dropped these times on your foot, it would pass through unnoticed. If we found out that all the clouds were two-dimensional so that if the birds flew into them from the wrong side, they would be cut in half like an M turning into two arches on the horizon, a McDonald's sign falling apart in the sky at dusk, That's how thin these times are. Secret service agents can't even get full code names anymore. Mom Jeans and Vanessa Huxtable are just casing each other now, playing chess on a card table, making sure they don't sleep with a hooker while they're looking for a checkmate. (laughs) Perhaps you think there's some sexual tension between them, like Starbuck and Apollo, Mulder and Scully, Charlton Heston and Dr. Theus, and they'll hook up later, but you know the answer is they won't. It's thin times, people. The kids aren't going to camp this year. We're just going to low-jack them and drop them off in an overgrown, vacant lot with a crossbow and a six-pack of Safeway strawberry soda to hunt creepy U.S. senators from Oregon. (laughs) The actors in the play of these thin times are in bathrobes. They can't even afford clothes. (laughs) Or full trunks. A real swimming pool. Or a good adventure in which to star in. It looks like they will have to order a heroin like a pizza. A thin, thin cheese pizza. Even the criminals can't rob a store correctly. The jerky is Velociraptor. The robber has a cello that looks like a crossbow. And his nerd glasses are too fogged up to count up his imaginary money. So he just breaks down playing cello near the Hostess Donuts, which rock back and forth in their cellophane single-wides to the looping vibrations while the cashier beeps along, whacking the register to open. It's thin times, fellow citizens, thin like the vowels in citizens, so thin, so thin, L semicolon KJ semicolon ASDFAS semicolon. Thank you.
1: Scott Poole, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Our guests tonight: Third Rail Repertory Company, Phil Margolin, Gideon Freudman, and the Double Clicks. The Mutton Chops are Jim Brundberg, Dave Jorgensen, and Paul Evans now featuring their new record of 99 songs of 30 seconds or less at mchops.com. Tonight's show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Dave's Killer Bread, and Burgerville, introducing Burgerville Radio, featuring music from Northwest musicians in all their restaurants. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the James F. and Marion Miller Foundation, and listeners like you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Andrew Harris and Tricia Ferguson, director Jason Rouse and master of sound David Ian. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse and house poet Scott Poole with guest writer Chelsea Kane, whose new novel Kill You Twice is available August 7th. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom with House Sound by Graham Nystrom. Our recordist is Jamie Cuddy. Thank you to Rose City Sound. Show theme by Courtney Vondrele and Ralph Huntley. Our show photographer is Jenny Baker. LiveWire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about LiveWire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit LiveWireRadio.org or find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio.